Lord, oh God, Lord God Almighty, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Hey, Ron, go ahead and start talking. I was in Texas this past weekend at our church plant, and so I just want you, let's just kind of enjoy some pictures. It was an amazing weekend, um, a really full house. I'm, we're not sure where all the people came from, but they were there, and um, it was just amazing. Just an amazing time to be with our church family out there. They're doing so many things well. People just keep showing up. Um, you know, Heath is about 30 miles outside of downtown Dallas. It's not a big town, but God's doing a big work. Um, you know, it, we're, we're probably pushing one of the largest churches in Heath, Texas already. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I'm not, I mean, there's, and there's, not, there's not a lot of churches in Heath. Look, I mean, it's a town of maybe 8,000, but it's, it's going to be 20,000, 30,000 people within the next few years, right? So God's just doing amazing things. The team is just so robust. Uh, just the, the leaders that the Lord's raising up, the ministries that are taking place. And thank you so very, very much for all your guys' prayers. It was a great trip. Um, thank you, Ron. That's perfect. Uh, and it was kind of cool. Pastor um, Chris and I, we, we team taught. I think that's how you say it. And so he said, uh, Mark, you got 15 minutes. And then I got 15 minutes. And I went first, and I was 15 minutes. And he went second, and he went longer. And so at dinner that night, I told him I was a little hurt that I had to go 15, and he got to go longer. And he said, suck it up, bro, home field, home field advantage. I was so stressed about being on time, and he just like, thanks for being on time. Now I can be a little longer. It was great, man. He and I have such an amazing relationship, such an amazing relationship. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. So thank you for your prayers. Um, whilst I was away... Uh, Michael Camarina got to take care of weekend services last weekend, right? So I, I, I left for Texas with one problem, Pastor Dave, and now I have two problems, Pastor Dave and Michael Camarina, two guys that can fill my shoes and then some. Um, it's really interesting to say that they're fill-ins. They're not fill-ins at all. They are just as uh, robust at, uh, at preaching God's word as anybody I've ever met. So um, we are in good hands when Pastor Dave and Michael Cameron are, are sharing the word of God with you. So we're very, very fortunate. Amen? Amen? Yeah, thank you. We are in 1 Thessalonians. As you know, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We are in verses 6 through 10, I believe. Yes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. We'll get there in a second. But what I want to do is open up with a few things first that I think will help calibrate um, this amazing church. The church at Thessalonica is a church that's really, really doing well in their faith. And so there's some things I think are worth talking about before we get into our text. You guys know what a fire poker is? Okay. If you take a poker and put it in the fireplace with the fire raging, the poker is just in the fire. But if you leave it in the fire, the fire gets in the poker. If the poker is left in the fire for any length of time, the environment of the fire will rub off on the poker so that the poker will become red hot. It won't be red hot because it said, let me be red hot today. And it won't be red hot because it's in a hot mood. <laughs> or because it stresses and strains to make itself red hot. It becomes red hot because of where it hangs out. Not only does the poker get hot because the fire is hot, but it, if it is taken out of the fire and gets near something, it will burn that something. Not because of the power of the poker, 
but because of the relationship of the poker to the fire. You guys know where this is going, right? Because the poker was in the fire, and the fire got in the poker, everything else is going to be set aflame. If Christians are touching stuff and nothing's burning, nothing's changing, there's no victory, it's because they don't understand the red-hot power does not come through effort, but through relationship with Jesus Christ and the Almighty God and the power of His Holy Spirit. God's goal for us is Christ-likeness. That is, being conformed to the character of Jesus Christ. Christ-likeness simply means emulating who Christ is. Not because you are stressing and straining, but because Christ is in you. Amen? Hallelujah indeed. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says this in Philippians 2, verse 13. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we hang out with him, he works in us if we allow him to do just that. If the Lord is not at work in you, perhaps it is because we are still striving after our good pleasure and not our Lord's good pleasure. Oh Lord, may you have your way with us. C.S. Lewis says this, the profound quote, he says, the process of growing up is to be valued for what we gain, not for what we lose. That's what it means to mature in Christ, to understand that the things we gain far outweigh the things that we think are loss. And we understand that as we get older and we get wiser and as we mature, that the things that we gain are so much better. Our God is so good to us. Church, let's pray. Almighty God, we are here because we want to sit in your fire and be set aflame by you so that the things we touch bring us victory and bring you joy. And that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we are your servants. You are our Lord. And we are here to hear from you because when we hear from you and we, and we submit to what you're asking us to do, Lord, that you give us victory, you give us hope, you give us joy. And for that, we say thank you. We love you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would have your way with us, Holy Spirit, as we go through your word written for us. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our verses are 6 through 10. But I want to start at verse 17 of chapter 2. I think it's imperative that we uh, look at the last few verses of chapter 17, or chapter 2, starting in verse 17, and then go up to verse 5 before we start verse 6, verse 5 of chapter 3. So chapter 2, verse 17, let's start there. But we, meaning Paul and Silas and Timothy, we, we've been taken away from you, church, for a short while. They were run out of town, if you remember. We were, we were taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. And we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. We want to come back. Verse 18, we, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, which means again and again and again, and yet Satan hindered us. And then he says in verse 20, you are our glory and our joy. We want to see you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when, when we could endure it no longer, I, I can't get there. Some of us can't get there. We thought it best to be left behind at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen and to encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I, 
I also sent to find out about your faith, so I sent Timothy, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul was run out of town. They were run out of town, and he wants to see them. He wants to be with them. He wants to check on their faith. And so he says, I can't take it anymore. So somehow they found a way to send Timothy by himself. And so Timothy comes back, and he reports what's going on there. And so this is what Paul writes, starting in our text this morning. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come, he's come back to us from you. And he's brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. It's a good report. It's good news. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Or it can be rendered, for now we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So that's the report. It's a good report. One of the purposes of Timothy's visit, as we already read, was to encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Verse 2 says, We sent Timothy, God's fellow worker, to strengthen and to encourage you as to your faith. I like to be encouraged in my faith. I'm sure you do as well. Now look at verse 7. On the flip side... Timothy's return with good news encouraged the missionaries, right? So there's a, there was a reciprocal encouragement. Look at verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted. It's the same exact word as encouraged in verse 2, parakaleo, which is where we get the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's called the comforter or the helper, it's the same word. So the, the missionaries are encouraged. So we sent Timothy to encourage you, and we're encouraged by you. This mutual encouragement. Church, mutual encouragement involves mutual concern. It doesn't just go one way. It's not just me or Pastor Dave or any leader in this church encouraging you. You're to encourage us as well. We need your encouragement. We need to encourage the body of Christ one to another. Mutual encouragement involves mutual concern, mutual respect, mutual capacity to minister to one another. That's what we're called to. How well are we doing in our reciprocated encouragement, our reciprocated concern, our reciprocated respect, our reciprocated ministering to one another? Do we deliver as much as we desire? Do we deliver as much as we desire? Now, keep in mind, this mutual encouragement and concern that we see here, it centers on something. It centers on matters of faith. Sometimes we want a mutual concern on things not of faith, and there's a problem. This centers on matters of faith. We are to have a mutual concern and respect and ministering to one another in matters of faith. That's what the body of Christ is for. Sometimes... We want this encouragement and this concern and this respect for the wrong things, not for matters of faith. And so sometimes then we resist others, we resist the church, we resist the Lord, simply because we are in a place 
where matters of faith just aren't our top priority and we aren't receiving the affirmation that we yearn for. It's because we're yearning for the wrong things. I want you to check out this language. Check out the language, the emotional language that is found in these verses. Look at verse, go ahead, verse 6. In verse 6, good news. Timothy has come and he's brought us good news. If I get good news, I'm emotional about good news. And I'm emotional about bad news. This is the emotion that these guys are experiencing. Good news about how well you're doing. They're excited because of the good news. Look at verse 7. They're, they're comforted, which we read already. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction. They're in distress and affliction, but they're encouraged. They're comforted. That's an emotion that they're experiencing. So it's like, wow, this is good news that you're doing well. We are comforted and encouraged because you, church, are doing well. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, it says that they really live. I just think this verse is amazing to me. For now, the missionaries write, we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. What a great emotion. When you have those times in life where it's like, man, this is what it means to really live. And then in verse 9, it says that they rejoice. What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice? So they've got good news and they're comforted and they're really alive and they're rejoicing. That's the emotion that these missionaries are writing to the church at Thessalonica. But why? Why are they experiencing these emotions? What's the object of that emotion? Here's the object of that emotion. Verse 6, faith. Now that Timothy has come to us, verse 6, and has brought us good news of your faith. The emotion that they're experiencing that we just went through is because of their faith. What's the, verse 7. Go ahead and verse 7. Oh, faith. Same thing. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted or encouraged about you through your faith. Wow. What about verse 8? Verse 8 says, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord is another term for <clears throat> faith. And at the end of verse 10, he says, We're praying for you all the time because we want to complete what is lacking in your faith. All this emotion, all this excitement from the missionaries because of somebody else's faith walk. It's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. <clears throat> and so I ask us, <laughs> what's our emotional language? What is our emotional language? And what's the object of that emotion? Okay, so perfect. So this was the missionary's emotional language. It was good news. They were comforted. They're really alive. They're rejoicing over somebody else's faith. What a picture. So I ask you, what is good news to you? What, what's your good news? What is it that comforts you and me? What is it that causes us to really be alive? What is it that makes us rejoice? Is it matters of faith? Or is it something different? Do you possess these emotions concerning your own faith? If your faith was rock solid and you're walking with the Lord like you've never walked before, do you have these emotions for yourself? Would you say, this is good news, I'm comforted, I'm really alive, and I rejoice that my walk with God is solid? Nothing wrong with that. We should all be to that place. 
But do you possess these emotions for others? That's what these men are doing. They possess these emotions for how somebody else is walking in their faith. What a picture of the body of Christ. That we can have that kind of emotion when my sister Diana Drake starts to live in her faith. I love this girl. God's doing that in her life. She's in my community group. I rejoice. These are, I'm all these things for you, sister. It's just such a great picture. Church, we're in verse 6. Let's read verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. I just want to hit a few questions or thoughts from this verse. Here's a question. What sort of team have you built around yourself? What sort of team have, have we built around us as it pertains to matters of faith? Matters of faith are important. The Thessalonians, or the Thessalonians, they had a team around them. Check it out. The word us is mentioned four times in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. There's a team of people that are concerned about the faith of those in Thessalonica. Who's on our team? What sort of team have we built around us that's concerned about our faith? Who is speaking into our lives and assessing our lives? These missionaries were assessing the faith life of the church in Thessalonica. Who is it that's in our lives that can endure it no longer unless they know how we're doing? That's what it says in verse 1 and 2. Check out chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we need to know that you're doing well. We thought it best to be left behind at Athens, and we sent Timothy. Who are the people that can endure it no longer as it pertains to your faith walk? We need to have people like that in our lives that just say, how are you? How are you? How's your faith? I rejoice when it's well, and I, I'm burdened when it's not. So who's on our team? Who are the people that are speaking into us that are concerned about our faith? I, t- I say this every time. It's just like the, low, lo- the low-lying fruit for me. Pastor Dave is one of those guys in my life. He's concerned, genuinely, and he's joyful when my faith is strong, and he's burdened when it's not. And I have other men like that in my life, clearly. So who's on your team? And conversely, <laughs> whose team are you on? Whose team are you on? I'm on your team, and you know that. Don't you? I'm on your team. Who are the people whose walk of faith brings good news to us? Who are the people who bring verse 8 alive in our lives? Look at verse 8. Who are these people that we can say, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord? Who are those people in our lives? My daughters are two of those people in my life. That I'm really alive when their faith is strong and I, and I see them exercising their faith and walking in faith. Timothy brought good news of their faith and love. Verse 7 tells us, or verse 6 tells us. Timothy brought good news. How would your news report currently read? 
if Timothy were to visit you and then go back to the missionaries, what kind of report would he be giving to them? He gives good news in this letter. And if he were hanging out with you, what kind of a report would that be? And who would know about this report? Who knows how well you're doing or not doing? Church, we're in verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. (laughs) I'm going to read that again. For this reason, my brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, in our distress and in our affliction, we're comforted about you through your faith. We are comforted because your faith is strong, even though we're going through hardship. Oh, my word. Our faith brings comfort to the body of Christ. When we walk firm in our faith, it's, it comforts the body of Christ. Because do you know what in the body of Christ? Somebody's always hurting. Somebody's always hurting. And so when we walk in our faith, when our faith is strong, it brings comfort to the body of Christ. Somebody's got to be walking firmly. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. Right? And it brings comfort to the body of Christ. Because we're the body of Christ. We make too big a deal about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not a big enough deal about the body of Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. Check this out. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 5. He says, look, so we who are many, this room, there's many of us, are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. So when you stand firm, I'm comforted. When I stand firm, I hope you're comforted. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, similarly, Paul says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, that's the physical body, and all the members of the physical body, though they are many, are one body, so also is the body of Christ. Can we, or shall I say, do we celebrate the strong faith of others, even in the midst of our own distress and affliction? I hope we can do that. Because if we can, it comforts us. We can be comforted. See, as parents, we understand the distress and affliction we suffer in order to see our kids grow and mature. We get that as parents. And the same is true in the church. Whether we are pastoring or leading a ministry, we often experience distress and affliction as those we lead mature in their faith. It's okay. And we're encouraged by it even in the midst of the affliction, in the trial, as we watch people grow, we're encouraged by that. It comforts us. Praise be to God. And so I ask you, who are the people who have suffered or who are currently suffering in your faith journey? There's probably a few. There's probably a few people as you're growing, as you're maturing, as you're being sanctified, which, by the way, never stops, which means there's always some sort of collateral damage. Somebody has suffered and probably will continue to suffer as you and I grow. Right? Who are they? If you know who they are, I encourage you to take the time to let them know. Just say thank you. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for for putting up with me. Thank you for enduring me. Let them know that they're playing a part in your faith journey as you grow and as you mature. We need each other, church. 
End of story. We need each other so badly. Take time to comfort and encourage them. Verse 8. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Wow, what a sacrificial verse. What a others-centered thought instead of a self-centered thought. Arguably, most of us would probably say that I really live when I stand firm in the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what it says here. How concerned are we with the firm stance in the Lord of other people? They were. Does their walk with the Lord, does somebody else's walk with the Lord cause us to really be alive? That's what's being articulated here. You're doing so well that I feel alive in my soul. What a way to live. And so I wonder, what does really live even look like for you and I? These guys are saying, we really live when you walk well in faith. And so I wonder, what does it even look like for us to really live? When when are we really alive? How would you fill in the blank? Now I'm really living because, because what? Because I got a new car. We finally moved into a bigger home. Got a new job. My, 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 my kid got a new job. Uh, my kid got married. Uh, my pain went away. All those are fine things. We all want those things. Don't get me wrong. But is that what makes us really live? These missionaries are saying we really live because of how firm you are in your faith. Oh, my word. So here's the takeaway. (laughs) Standing firm in the Lord brings life. Standing firm in the Lord brings life. These men say, we really live when you stand firm in your faith. So it brings life not just to us, but to others as well. Because we're the body of Christ. It makes sense. When we are well in our faith, then the body of Christ is alive. So it's not a personal thing. It's not about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, part, it's being part of the body of Christ. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? So there's thanks being offered and they're rejoicing. What thanks can we render with all the joy with which we rejoice? Thankful and joyful. I don't know about you, but I love being thankful and joyful. These men are thankful and joyful. Are we thankful and joyful for certain people in our lives? I hope we have people in our lives that we are thankful and joyful for. And who comes to mind then? If I say, are you thankful and joyful for people in your lives, who are they? Who comes to mind? Arguably, you probably all have somebody that came to mind that you're thankful and joyful for. And that's fantastic. It's great to have people that you're thankful and joyful for. It's fantastic that you can name them. But if that's all you've done, you're missing something according to this text. Do we do this before God? Look what this verse says. What thanks can we render to God? We are to render our thanks to God. And he says, all the joy with which we rejoice before our God. We are to have thanks before God. We have to render our thanks to God and we are to rejoice before our God, for these people that give us joy and these people that we're thankful for. Don't just be thankful for them. Don't just, 
have the ability to recall them by name. Go before the Lord. Render to God. Rejoice before God the thanks and the joy that you have for these people. Do that for them. Do that for the Lord. So we really must do two things. If you know you're joyful and thankful for people, let the Lord know, but let them know as well. Let those people know. I'm thankful for you. I'm joyful for you. Paul and Silas and Timothy are thankful and joyful. That means that they are benefiting because other people are walking firm in their faith. When we walk with a firm faith, others benefit. When we walk with a firm faith, we benefit the lives of others. It's not just about us. Others are thankful. Others are joyful. Others benefit when we walk well with God. Verse 10. As we, this is a pretty cool verse, i got to be honest with you. As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So I'm going to ask you a bit of a layered question. Don't raise your hand, but mentally raise your hand with each layer, right? Just think, where, where would your hand go up and then where would it like not go up anymore? Because before I do that, if you look at verse 10. It would have been fine if he says, as we pray to see you face to face. We pray to see, you, to see your face so that we can complete what is lacking in your faith. That would have been just fine for that to be written that way. And so here's the layered question. Raise your hand in your mind. You can do it physically if you want. Do we pray? Uh, yeah. Here's the next question. Do we keep praying? Um, here's the next question. Do we keep praying most earnestly? Oh, that's different. Here's the next question. Do we keep praying most earnestly night and day? See, hands just drop with each layer. Let's read that verse again, because that's what it says. As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly. We are to be fervent in prayer. We are to keep praying most earnestly night and day. Do we keep praying most earnestly night and day? If the answer is no, we need to start. That's just the simple answer. If the answer is no, we need to start. We need to become people that pray most, that keep praying most earnestly night and day. If, if you do, great. If the answer is no, you need to start. If the answer is yes, then the question is, what do you keep praying for night and day most earnestly for? So if you are people that keep praying most earnestly night and day, what is it that you're praying for? See, what they're keep praying more, most earnestly night and day for is the, their faith, the Thessalonians' faith. That's what they're praying for night and day earnestly that they keep praying for, is a mature faith in this church. Wow. Does that describe us? Do you keep praying most earnestly night and day for somebody else's faith? That is a selfless, selfless life. 
Perhaps many of us are indeed praying most earnestly night and day for someone who's lacking. Because it says we're doing that to, and we want to be there to complete what's lacking in your faith. And that's why we're praying. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. So perhaps many of us are praying all the time for somebody who's in lack. Lack of health, lack of a job, lack of resources, lack of a relationship. And those are good things. But how often do we pray most earnestly night and day for someone who lacks something in their faith? Which, oh, by the way, we all do. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be in community groups with one another so we can be praying for our brothers and sisters as their faith grows. So what's interesting is we know that this is a church that's doing things well, right? We know that this is a church that's doing things with excellence. They are excelling, as it says in chapter 4 twice, verse 1 and verse 9. You're excelling, but excel still more. We went over those verses more than once, I believe. And so it's interesting that they are excelling, but they still lack. And that's what it says in verse 10. We want to see your face so that we can complete what is lacking in your faith. What is lacking in your faith today? What's lacking in my faith today? And who helps you complete what is lacking? Do you have people that come alongside you to help you complete what is lacking in your faith? And it seems here that this ability to meet what is lacking is best accomplished face to face. Look at what verse 10 says. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and then complete what is lacking in your faith. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. It seems that meeting each other's lack and helping each other grow in the faith is best accomplished face to face. Church, our lives need to brush up against one another. They need to. The good, the bad, and everything in between. We need to brush up against one another. No wonder the enemy is relentless in causing division, in causing unforgiveness, in causing lack of reconciliation. Because if he can do that, then we don't get to brush up against one another, and then our faith goes lacking. Whatever shortcomings, I'm going to close with this. Whatever, it doesn't say what this lack is, but I'm here to tell you that the lack is always there. We're never perfected until we go to be with Jesus. But he perfects us. It's a continual process. Whatever shortcomings existed in their faith, it was due more to immaturity than to waywardness or sin. They're a new church. Paul and Silas and Timothy were only there for three Sabbaths, and they're killing it. But they're still young and immature in their faith. And so whatever shortcomings existed in their faith, it was probably due to immaturity more than it was to waywardness. And so we in the church, we have to be careful because we often judge others inappropriately between these two. And we need to extend grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ as they mature and as they grow. Because sometimes the immaturity is, I didn't know that was wrong. And so we come alongside in grace and we help them understand that God has a better plan. Waywardness is, I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. We understand waywardness, don't we? But there's a difference. And this is probably immaturity more than it is waywardness. And so we as a church, we need to be careful. As we extend grace, as God extends grace to us, we need to do that for one another. Church, I'm going to go ahead and invite up the worship team. I want to to thank you for excelling. So many things that this church does so well. I want to say, church, thank you for excelling. But I want to challenge you to excel still more. There's a lack in our faith because we're human. And we need each other. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We're going to close in song.
um, after I pray. And then if you uh, need prayer, please, please see our prayer team down here in the corner to my left. If you need prayer for anything, please visit our prayer team. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so incredibly grateful for the body of Christ. We're incredibly grateful, Lord, that you are concerned about our faith and that you have given us one another to help us um, become more mature in our faith. Lord, help us to be the body of Christ in a way that pleases you, in a way that helps us to grow as we encourage others and as we are encouraged by others. God, we thank you. Help us to do this well. Thank you for the excellence that exists in this church. And Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to excel still more. Amen. Hey, church, why don't you...